0: Welcome to Clearly Quaker, an ongoing series of podcasts by Salem Quarterly Meeting, part of the Religious Society of Friends. Salem Quarterly Meeting is an association of seven Southern New Jersey Quaker meetings within Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. In this episode, Melinda Wenner-Bradley spoke at Salem Quarter in December at Woodbury Friends Meeting House in New Jersey. Melinda is Philadelphia Yearly Meeting's new Youth Engagement Coordinator, and this was her first official visit in this capacity. She has many years of experience serving children, youth, and families for Quaker organizations, and speaks here about nurturing multi-generational spiritual community. Melinda is a member of Westchester Friends Meeting in Pennsylvania. So I'm Melinda Wenner-Bradley, and I am newly serving the Yearly Meeting in the position of Youth Engagement Coordinator. And it's a new position, so I just want to say that it really holds a couple of different pieces for us in the Yearly Meeting. Um, It holds both care for um, what's happening in our local meetings and the religious education or spiritual formation work that we do in our local meetings and then also care of the fabulous youth programs that happen in the yearly meeting for children and families, middle school friends, and young friends, um, that I think some of the young people who just left us um, participate in. Um, So it really is having care of both of those pieces, and I'm gonna say a little bit about where I think there's some really important connection between them as well for us. So, I I want to talk about a few things today and I'm going to go through them all and then hopefully there'll be a moment for me to take a breath and for us to have some conversation or questions about this together. So I want to start by sharing a quote um, from Elise Boulding which I think really speaks to what for me is at the heart of this work. If we want to rediscover human joy and wholeness And creativity and learn to care for our planetary household as one earth family. We cannot continue to insulate adults and children from each other. Children need to be present to us and we to them." And that's from The Personhood of Children by Elise Bolding. And Elise Bolding is you know, a friend who was um, one of the first people who helped create peace studies as something that we now do um, in at universities. And she was also somebody who taught first day school <laughs> um, in, her, in her meeting and who had a real connection to um, thinking about families um, as a part of how we do peacemaking. So the first thing I, I was asked to think about and, to, and for us to consider <laughs> together. Um, a couple of things. One being how to create intergenerational programs in a local meeting. Um, so we just modeled that. We just did that. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it is about creating a space um, and finding a way for us to share with one another. Um, you know, sharing around questions, sharing something to, with each other, um, and making making room from that. And I think I think more and more we've begun to. Um, in many places, find ways to create um, space for intergenerational programming. And and we'll continue to do that um, in the yearly meeting um, and and explore how we do that in our local meetings. The other thing I was going to have us do, but we didn't have time, and maybe some of you will feel spared when I describe this, was I was going to have us count off by four. um, And we were a pretty big group today, actually. We might have needed to do a little more and go to different spaces in the room and come up with a fam- favorite Christmas song, and then decide how to um, how to represent that somehow in, a, in movement or a tableau together silently, and then the rest of us were going to have to guess. And if we couldn't guess, you were going to have to sing it. So <laughs> you might have been spared there. But again, the idea of of mixing our mixing us up and sharing something that you know where are those common places like singing a Christmas song um, and things that we could do together. So. I don't sing well, so we were all really spared there. Um, So the things I wanted to just touch on today in terms of how do we nurture multi-generational spiritual community. Um, The first thing is, I would propose that when a family comes to meeting, when when someone new and visitors come across the threshold um, seeking something and and come to one of our meetings, they really bring with them three different needs. Um, And we sometimes see that family unit come in and we go, oh, there's a family here. But I think it really is important for us to think about the different needs that they bring with them. Certainly they're often looking for something for their children. They're looking for some spiritual formation, some kind of a grounding, religious education, something for their children. They're also, however, bringing their own needs as adult seekers. Whether it's parents or grandparents who are bringing those children to meeting. If they have found their way to friends, they are seeking something for themselves that's important for us to think about how we attend to that as well, to them as the individual adults. And then the third one is that they are seeking something for their family as a family unit. Um, We are so often more isolated now um, as family units than we used to be in other times and places. And so there's something that they're seeking. How do we nurture the whole family? How do we gather in the whole family um, into our our meeting? And that Diana Butler Bass has written about, who's an American theologian, she's written about the primal social role of belonging in faith communities. That the thinking used to be that when people were part of churches or faith communities, that you believed and then you knew how to behave and therefore you belonged. So believe, behave, belong. And she's proposed that we flip it all the way around and that we think about this in terms of outreach and in terms of also inreach and how we're nurturing our communities. That it's about belonging, being truly welcomed and included, about belonging and knowing how to behave. And we can think about as friends, there are often some things that feel a little bit like Quakeries in terms of language or the style or the way we do things. So people knowing what are our practices, I would say that's a piece of behave is really practice for us. And then believing as in being gathered into the, to the meeting, into what that means to be part of it. They, they certainly come to us with their own beliefs, but they may be seeking it. People sometimes say, oh, there are all these people who are Quakers but just don't know it yet in the world. So thinking about this as being belong, behave, and believe. Um, people are seeking a community for their children, for their family to grow up in, and to contribute. Um, I know my own parents um, were seeking a peace church, and so came and found Quakers um, because of uh, an interest in social activism on their part. But they came across the threshold of a meeting house in rural Pennsylvania with two children by the hand. And so there were, there were multiple needs there that need to be met. Um, reimagining our idea, oh and I'm sorry, as part of that, pastoral care for parents, is, it was in what I was saying, that pastoral care for children really begins with pastoral care for the adults who care for them. Um, So thinking about ways that we can be taking care of families, Um, the programs I've been involved with, the Quaker Parenting Initiative, um, Parenting Discussions, Uh, we did something really fun in New York Yearly Meeting in the last year where we had Quaker family meetups. And they were very simple at the quarterly level where people got together on a Saturday afternoon and we had snacks, which is always I should have snacks written like all over this everywhere. We had <laughs> snacks. Um, and then people gathered, the kids had, you know, were, were attended to and got to play to be together. The adults had worship sharing. Um, and then we had snacks again and fellowship. And it was a very simple two, two and a half hour event. But a lot for a lot of parents, we would settle into this worship sharing for an hour or so, and people would say, I haven't gotten to sit in meeting in a while. Or this, the, people were being fed themselves spiritually by it, and also connecting with each other. Someone said, we need a co-op. <laughs> um, and this idea of really being connected. There was one family meetup we did where there were families there from four different meetings in their quarter who were the only family in their meeting and we're so excited to meet one another for their children to be together, to be with other kids, um, and then to say, we'll see you at quarterly meeting. So it's a joy this morning to see how many young people were here with us and some of them know each other and have gone off together, the older ones were taking younger ones by the hand, that sense of, of community. Um, and I think, as part of that, I want to talk about the big table and the kids table, but all of this is really about lifelong spiritual formation. Um, the idea that we are doing this across all ages, we're never done, um, it's never finished, we have, we've never completely come to some place of being totally evolved. Uh, we're o- often regrounding ourselves in different stages of our lives. So how do we support people across all of those ages? The spiritual formation is lifelong. Um, and thinking about that, an image came to me a couple years ago, thinking about Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner at my own house. I grew up on our family farm. And so everybody came to our house for Thanksgiving, but there was the grown-ups sat in the dining room, and then the kids, my cousins and siblings, we sat in the other room with our own kids' table. And we really wanted to be together at the kids' table, actually. Um, we ate a little bit differently. We had, there were some fancier things in the other room that we did not necessarily eat. Um, and we had a lot of fun being together. It was important for us to be our own community of cousins and siblings, um, and we knew that we were going to be sitting in the dining room someday. We knew that we were going to go and be at the big table someday. And I think we need both in our local meeting communities. Children need the kids table of their own children's programs, programs for children, programs for youth across those ages. And they also know that the big table is here. And so how do we invite children to know that they are invited to this place, that this is for them as well. Um, eventually, at some point during Thanksgiving dinner, we would start drifting into the dining room, usually when pie was about to be served. We um, were a very pie-motivated family. And so we would, and you know, when kids would end up, someone would be on someone's lap, someone would be next to, you know, snuggle between a couple of adults. We had a sense that we were invited to that place, even though we'd had our own repast together, that was also a place for us now as well as knowing that there would be a time when we would be the adults sitting there. So thinking about that in our local meetings, how do we make a space where there's both the, the table that place for children to be in spiritual community with other young people, but that they're also invited to be part of this experience. And I'm particularly talking about worship. We can also think about Committees and other kinds of work in ways that we begin to really weave younger people into the work of the of the meeting community Um, There was an article that was written a few years ago that was called Sunday schooling our kids out of church It's a very powerful article that had to do with the period of time um, after the late 60s when churches began creating really strong Sunday school programs and it was largely to woo adults back to church um, we, we've got your kids. They're taken care of. We have a wonderful place for them. To come back and be taken care of in church. And so there was this rise of there being a lot of Sunday school curriculum that exists, um, and some of it's great and some of it I would not suggest using, but it's, I mean that's across a lot of denominations. Um, but what happened, now we're seeing, um, you know, 30 years later, What happened was that children were no longer coming to church and worshiping in the church with their parents. And on one hand, they were having their own, they were being fed and having their own program. But what the study found was that those young people often didn't come back and and weren't adult uh, attenders in their communities. They grew up and they left and they did not come back. And a piece of what it was lifting up was the idea that if we don't feel that we are part of the worshiping body we don't see ourselves at that big table. We don't see ourselves having a place there, and so it's we feel less connected in terms of staying. Um, I have three, Matt and I have three children, and I feel kind of at ease knowing that they may not all grow up and be friends. Um, I think I need to release a little bit in terms of that and people who are parents are smiling at me like yes (laughs) Um, but at the same time I feel like if they've had the experience of knowing what is here for them and and their place here that there is a that they are more likely to know that this is for them as well Um, and so that piece about you know having those having both of those places for them I would really like us to think about how we include children in worship, ways in which we teach our children waiting worship. Um, There are two things I brought with me. Um, And I brought a bunch of resources that are over on the bench over here. I made, I think there are nine meetings in your quarter? Uh, Oh, then I made some, excellent. I made more copies than I needed to. (laughs) So there's at least one for every meeting. Um, And I wanted to show you, this is a wonderful curriculum that was written by a woman in Ohio Valley yearly meeting. Finding. Um, the light in you bright silent worship with young friends and it's a visual guide for guiding children through how to settle into waiting worship they make a meadow in their minds and it's so beautifully laid out that you turn the pages and then what you're supposed to be sharing with them is written on the opposite of the page you're showing them (laughs) Um, it's wonderful and actually there I know a friend's school on Long Island that has used this to introduce uh, waiting worship to the children in their school. Um, and I actually watched a YouTube video of their first graders explaining meeting for worship about as well as I've seen young children explain meaning for worship. Um, so this is one, one resource you're welcome to look at. The other is that the yearly meeting has copies, um, which I am sorry, I did not think it was my first week in the office. I didn't think to grab a bunch to bring today. Um, but it's a little book that's called Quaker Meeting and Me. Um, it's really for younger children. And this is actually, ironically, I forgot, I do not have the new one with me. It's from Britain Yearly Meeting. And this one is the one from Britain Yearly Meeting. Um, and it's, it's a guide to, it's a lovely little book about what's happening when we go to Quaker Meeting. The Quaker Religious Education Collaborative, which is a relatively new um, Quaker network of folks doing both adult and children and youth religious education, decided to republish this in the last year. And um, the artist in Britain worked with us to create all new art um, because we felt it was important to include a child of color. Um, and so there's, it has new art and it's in both Spanish and English. Um, and I was in a meeting once where a woman walked in, a visitor, and picked it up and her child, she, her child was, was bilingual. They were speaking Spanish at home and she was so, ex- there was a visitor who, they're, you know, was so amazed to find this resource. So there are copies of this for us to distribute to all the meetings in New York Yearly Meeting as a gift from the Quaker RE Collaborative. Um, And I'll I'll just have to leave you with with the British one to look at and um, make sure we get those copies to you all. But it's another one. And that's something to keep in a basket at the back of the meeting house, or to think about giving to children in the meeting at some point. And the last thing I wanna say, for today is the idea of the three friends approach to some of this work Um, people who are gardeners may know um, or farmers may know the three sisters um, of planting squash beans and corn right Um, so the three friends approach to building multi-generational spiritual community is thinking about the connectedness between some of the work that we sometimes silo in our local meetings. So first day school or religious education committee, um, an outreach or advancement committee, and then worship and ministry or whatever friends call those pastoral care committees, different things. Thinking instead about where is the connectedness between those committees and their work? How might they support one another? And in particular, I would lift up thinking about um, Friends who are doing religious education programs for your young people. And how are they being cared for? How might they be intentionally um, supported by like a worship and ministry committee? I know that there was a time in my life where I was teaching first day every Sunday. I bet there might be some other people in the room who have had an experience like that. And it wasn't just because I was a parent. It was because I was a teacher. And so I was pulled into that. That happens as well. And I was delighted to be there, actually. In fact, for me, it was, in some ways, worship every week. Um, But the idea that when friends travel in the ministry, um, we traditionally have friends have spiritual accompaniment when they travel in the ministry. And so for somebody who is not in worship because they are with the children's program and who may be consistently not in worship, how is there spiritual accompaniment for that friend? Might there be some way that twice a year, worship and ministry and an RE committee might meet together simply, how does the spirit fare with the friends who were on the, the first day school or RE committee? How are they? How's their spiritual health? Um, checking in and connecting with each other. Um, thinking about advancement and outreach and its connection. It has a very natural connection to religious education in terms of people knowing who we are and what we have to offer. Um, particularly thinking about families. So thinking about there being connectedness between the work in the meeting and how that's supporting the greater whole. I know we're coming up on worship, so. Um, Another thing that Elise Bolding said was that the crying need in our world is for child adult friendships outside the family. So thinking about the meeting as being a wonderful place for this to happen. Um, And that's part of the power of what's happening, what happens in the youth programs in the yearly meeting. So for young people who are attending um, the children's program for younger kids, as well as but particularly middle school and young friends, for them to be known by the people facilitating those programs, really known and seen for who they are, is a really powerful experience of community. Someone lifted up community. I think it was Liam said community. So the the power of of that. So how can we capture some of that in our local meetings? How can we really see and know young people? I mean, I won't have you raise your hands. I'll raise my own. Have you ever said to a young person, oh, I remember when you were little? Or, oh, I know your mom? Like, I've done it. I mean, a few people are willing to admit it with me. That Trying to break ourselves of that habit, really seeing and asking that young person about where they are now, being present with them in this time, um, and I'd say the same is true if children are in worship. It's very hard, I've done this one too. You were so good today. Thank you for being so quiet. Instead, think about how it would feel to a young person to, say, to hear, for them to hear you say, or any of us say, I'm really glad you were in meeting. It was really good for me that you were in worship today. So that idea of really being seen and known um, sounds easy, but it is harder to do in terms of our relationships with the younger people in our meetings and in our lives, so thinking about those pieces and knowing there is so much power. I bet if you thought about who is somebody who nurtured your spiritual life as a young person, when I've done that with people in groups, they, it's, it's across a whole range of experiences of people, you know, an aunt, a teacher, someone in my meeting, or church, a neighbor, but you don't know who you might be that person for that person who really makes a young person feel seen and really known. Um, So I would say those are some of the things our young people really need. Authentic relationships with adults other than their parents or primary caregivers. Religious education and spiritual community with their peers in a program and meeting and at the yearly meeting level, but also with some balance there of both informational and experiential learning. That's another piece for us to be thinking about is the experiential and the informational learning that happens when we think about religious education. And a place made for them to be in worship. Um, In all of these places, we as adults can find ways to be fully present to children. And truly, the children who know they are heard and seen and know may become the most creative and active young adults in our midst and our gift to the rest of the world. Thank you for listening to Clearly Quaker. We hope you have found this podcast thought-provoking. If you have questions or comments, or would like to learn more about South Jersey Quakers, reach us at salemquarter.net.